details of my life are quite inconsequential. Read my lips. If you have sex, your penis will fall off and land in another dimension populated entirely by dogs who will eat it. Well, that's something I'd like to avoid. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I'm a paladin with 18 charisma and 97 hit points. I can use my helm of disintegration and do 1d4 damage as my half-elf mage wields his plus five holy avenger. And as president, I'm going to make it impossible for congressmen or lobbyists to slip pork barrel projects or corporate welfare into laws when no one's looking. Because when I'm president, meetings where laws are written will be more open to the public, no more secrecy. That's a commitment I make to you as president. The Michael Graff Show. It is my opinion he is a danger to himself and others and is in need of treatment. Warning. The following broadcast is presented without the use of talking points, blatant hypocrisy, or Kool-Aid. You know, it's bad when this guy has to become the voice of reason. It's the return of the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. We, uh, we have to do this. We start off the program something a little bit different. By the way, hi, my name is Michael Groff, and uh, do this little podcast for you uh, somewhat daily, not really. All right, breaking news to open up the show. This is just this all there is to it. It's time for some breaking news. Wow, uh, that was very loud. All right, the breaking news is, I don't know if you got the memo, but you should have. The recession is over. That's right. The recession is over. And uh, boy, I'm so glad. I'm so glad it's done. Here, hold on. We have to put on some festive music. That is breaking news just in to our studios here. The Michael Groff Show Studios. By the way, uh, Hillary's here. We're having a celebration right now. We're we're I'm cracking open a uh, a bottle of champagne or whatever we can find around here. We are gonna we're gonna party like it's 1939. Yeah. There we go. Well, that's I'm I'm reading it right here. Here's the story. Obama declares recession over. Woo! All right. Well, I guess I guess that's it. I guess all that unemployment, I guess it's all gone. GDP is back to normal. The stock market, what is it at? 50,000. Hillary, uh, take a look at the uh, the stock market. Uh, tell me what the uh, Dow Jones, it must be at least, it's got to be at like 100,000, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's 100,000 or more. Everybody's working. How much money do you have on you right now? A million. You have a million dollars right now? Hold on, let me see what I got in my wallet right now. I sh- in fact, the wallet right now, unlike most of the time, ladies, 
the wallet should be the biggest thing in my pants right now. Let's see. Hold on. Let's see what I got in my wallet right now. All right, I got a $5 bill in here. That's pretty awesome. There we go. One hundred, two, three. Yeah, I got $306 in my wallet, which is actually less than I had at this. T but how can that be? The recession's over. Here's the story. I don't know if you caught this. But uh, yeah, Obama and some uh, eggheads declared that the recession is over. All right, here's the uh, the story is in. Um, let's see. This is great. Can't believe the recession's over. Uh, let's see. President Obama confronted deepening angst from business leaders and ordinary Americans who have little faith that the recovery is for real. But wait. That's impossible because they've told us the the story is here if you if you missed it. This is in the Washington Post just the other day. All right, this story says that the recession is over. The determination that the US recession ended in June of 2009. Now, uh today this would be September the 23rd, 2010. And according to that means that for the last Year and a quarter, for 15 months, the recession has been over, according to a panel of private economists who are the arbiters of business cycles. Yes, they are the arbiter of all business cycles. Isn't that great? The 18-month downturn was the longest recession in the post-World War II era. Yeah, they're making it sound like this is all past tense. The nation and the political system remain haunted by... Uh, by by that downturn, of course, uh, vast majorities of Americans think that the nation is still in recession, regardless of what scholars say. Well, you know, I'm going to trust uh, the fact that we still have near 10% unemployment. Our GDP is flatlined. The Dow Jones Industrial is flat. Um, I'm looking at all major economic indicators, the, the strength of the dollar, anything. The national debt is now at about $13.6 trillion. Uh, we are in recession mode big time and uh, so far there does not seem to be any sign that it's turned around oh yeah i guess the the geeks have determined that the recession ended 15 months ago because we stopped losing all those jobs we stopped having negative growth well the reason that stopped is because everybody's lost their job okay the real unemployment number that's out there right now is somewhere in the vicinity of 15 to 20 percent. And the reason I say that is because you see the the official unemployment number is actually I think it's right now at 9.6 percent. But the real unemployment number is much higher because what happens is people fall off the 99 week dole. People stop looking for jobs. Some people just get so discouraged they stop looking for jobs. Some people try and become self-employed, which means that they don't fall into the unemployment statistics, even though technically they are. Um and here's the real rip about unemployment statistics. If you work for even five hours a week, five hours a week, you're considered employed. Anything more than five hours a week, you're considered to be employed. So you could literally have been a census worker and you count from earlier this year, you count as being employed. You could literally have a, a, a job where you're working 15 hours a week at like a Burger King and you're considered employed. Even though you don't make enough money to amount to jack and you're getting government assistance out the ass, uh, you're still considered employed by the official unemployment statistics.
If you went and you worked at the polls on primary day, you're considered to be employed because you worked more than five hours. Even if that's that, if that's the only job you've had for the last three months, that is still considered to be employed. So that's why the unemployment statistics are a complete farce. And even so, they're still at around 10%. Unbelievable. Listen to this crap. The crisis may be over. The stock market has risen 42% since Obama was inaugurated, including 9% this month. But the front, yeah, you haven't seen it uh, today, have you? But the stock market over the slow recovery remains. Obama took the stage at the, check this out, at the, uh, this is the museum in Washington on Monday. In an hour-long town hall-style meeting sponsored by the financial cable network CNBC, facing questions that reflected the nation's deep concern. A 30-year-old law school graduate said that he no longer is able to make the interest payments on his uh, educational loans, much less afford a mortgage or a family. He said that he had been inspired by Obama's campaign, but now that inspiration is dying away, he said. Quote, I really want to know, is the American dream dead? Obama, of course, responded, absolutely not. There's not a country in the world that um, would want to, that would not want to change places with us. Well, listen, that may be, this is still a great country, but right now we are in it up to our eyeballs. But Obama says the recession's over. So all that suffering that you're doing out there right now, all those people that are out of work, all those people that went down to the unemployment office today, ah, Obama says, nah, it's okay. You're done. You guys are all right. Recession's over. Some, some guys in a room someplace did their mathematical computations. They came up with the algorithms to suggest recession over. How about instead of using some ridiculous, ridiculous idea that, well, uh, technically the unemployment statistics haven't gone up any further. So uh, that means that the, uh, that, uh, the recession is over. We, we don't have any real uh, negative growth any longer. We're, we're, we're actually flatlined. So uh, everything's okay. No, it means that we're in real deep crap because we've hit the bottom. I don't know. People talk about the double dip in this recession. Well, a double dip would imply that it's come back some. Yeah, you look, the stock market pendulums, okay? The stock market, as I've always said, that's not a great indicator necessarily. Yeah, it, it, it took a huge dump. It went all the way down. To, the Dow Jones went all the way down to about 7,000 last year. Went all the way down to about 7,000, and then it came back up to about 10,000. The problem was, at one point, it was knocking on the door. It was over 14,000. That's the thing is the, the markets, they took a huge dump. And then opportunists came along and said, well, look at all these stocks. They have bottomed out. They're dirt cheap. So very wealthy folks or, or people that are just opportunists, they go after these penny stocks or these very low rated stocks. Then they went, well, I'll buy up some of these. So then it naturally sort of rebounded a little bit back to around the 10,000 mark. And you'll notice that it just keeps bobbing up and down anywhere between 10,000 to about 10,600. That's where the Dow Jones has been for the last several months. It has not gone up 
and it really hasn't gone down. It's dipped down just below 10,000 a couple of times. It may have closed in on 11,000 a couple other times, but generally it's just hovering in the 10,000 range. Unemployment continues. We continue to lose jobs. Month of July, lost more jobs. Of course, I guess these folks think that the recession's over because we're losing jobs a lot slower now. Yeah, that, again, not to, uh, not to use a despicably kind of graphic and uncouth analogy, but yeah, if you take a hatchet and you cut somebody's back wide open, you, know, you just split them wide open and they bleed and they bleed. Yeah, sooner or later, the blood that's coming out of them is going to be a lot less because they've bled to death. Our economy is in the shape that it's in now because the jobs, look at the jobs are gone. Notice how all those jobs that went away, notice how very few of them are coming back. Notice how most of the jobs that are coming back are these, these, uh, these short-term jobs, these kind of, uh, aside from like the census work or these, uh, these kind of the stimulus jobs that the president puts out there that last for like two months and they go away and then people are in even worse shape than they were before. There's no incentive right now for business to start new jobs. I mean, I don't know how else to explain this to people, but you know, the good news is when you have, this is the problem and this is why the president is such a poor leader. Well, this is like reason number one uh, that will give you just today alone why this is a this president is a poor leader. He gets out there and he's blasting the trumpet. Listen to this. He's like, this is what he says to another woman. This this woman just said, uh, "quote My husband and I thought that we were beyond the hot dog and beans of our lives. Is this the new reality?" Quote from Obama. I understand your frustration. You understand their frustration. That's like Bill. I feel your pain. <laughs> I feel your pain. I really, I really do. I feel it. As you make a hundred million, you and you and uh, Hillary Clinton make a hundred million dollars on book deals. I feel your pain. Now this recession, this is tough work here. The same thing. Obama's given us the same load of crap. He actually said, "I feel your." He said, "I understand your frustration." No, you don't. You're hosting galas in the White House. Paul McCartney is singing to you. He's swooning over you. He's crooning you. Hey, leave this guy alone, love. He's doing a great job. That's what Paul McCartney said that. Look, I don't care who you are. If you're making millions of dollars, yeah, the economy's going great for you right now. I mean, who gives a crap? If, you, if you're like the Obamas and last year your tax filings were $4.2 million, you're in great shape. You know, you're fine. But if you're like the rest of us, if you're like me trying to trying to run a, a, your own business, you're, you're a, uh, self-employed, you're like uh, Hillary over here who's self-employed. How, how's business doing? Are you raking in cash hand over fist? <laughs> Do you have more money than you could ever imagine? I mean, right now, are you sitting there? Are you just swimming in it? No. No? But Obama said the recession's over. It's better seven years ago. Don't you... Don't you have a lot of business coming your way, though, right now? Uh, Since the recession's over. No. <laughs> huh. Well, I don't understand. He feels your pain. Look, he says, let's look at the track record here. This is the most egregious thing that he says. Let's look at the track record here. When I came into office, businesses, some of the same 
commentators who were on CNBC were crying, do something, because as a consequence of reckless decisions that had been made, the economy was on the verge of collapse. Those same businesses now are profitable. The financial markets are stabilized. Really? The financial markets are stabilized. So when I read that more and more companies are, are shutting down, when I read that insurance companies are no longer going to put children on policies anymore, no more child-only policies because of government interference, by the way, and we'll get into that later. When I read that we just had another, what, uh, 78,000 jobs lost last month, when I read that kind of stuff, like on one hand, I've got Obama telling me that everything's fine and, and things are profitable again and we're, we're all good and the recession's over. And on the other hand, I have the facts which tell me, hmm, we're still losing jobs, GDP is flatlined, debt is still rising out of control at an, at an alarming rate. Now, which am I going to believe? The president who fears for his party because even the most whacked out candidates, the Tea Party, the Republican, just anybody that can run against this current administration and their philosophies is, is on the verge of getting elected. I mean, what am I, who am I supposed to believe? The guy that's defending his own party and his policies or the facts? Which one should I buy into? What I'm told or what I see? Hmm. Although he avoided business bashing Although he avoided business bashing rhetoric, Obama defended his history on a range of uh, policies, pushing back against the idea that his record on health care reform, financial regulation and intervention in the automobile business has hurt the markets and business communities. He said that Wall Street is thriving, pointing out billion dollar bonuses and the auto sector, which has been revived. Oh, yeah, the autos. Auto sector's doing great. I gotta tell my Ford is just there. They've reopened all those plants in Detroit. They're open again, right? No. <laughs> Wait, come on. Obama says that everything's turned around. <laughs> Boy, I'm confused today. Folks, I gotta tell you, I'm uh, I'm I'm lost. I'm completely confused. All right, so we have, that's, that's the big news of the day. The breaking news is, according to some geeks in a room someplace who have their pocket protectors, uh, TI-82s, and graph paper out, they've decided that the recession is over somehow. Of course, they haven't actually stepped outside. That's like, that's like a, a weather guy looking at his computer models and saying, well, it's not raining. Meanwhile, you step outside and there's six inches of water rushing across the ground. How about instead of using some bizarre idea to figure out whether or not the recession is over, how about you take a look around you? How about you actually look at what's going on? The facts, you know, more jobs being lost, unemployment at 10%. Of course, the real unemployment number much higher. How about you look at the average income, the income for the average American, how about you look at how much money is being taken in off of unemployment now and how we are, how so many people are desperately trying to get their unemployment benefits extended, not because they're lazy, but because they legitimately can't find work. 
And the only work that is to be found is in the unskilled labor area. The short-term kind of jobs, fast food, for example. Great. You know, small little things like, I need my house, but stuff that you can find on Craigslist. Yeah, I need somebody to come and paint my house. Need some guy to come move some furniture for me. Great, that's always there. Okay, I'll, I'll pay you 20 bucks to move my couch. All right, fine. But I mean, real jobs, businesses, hiring people again, that's not there. That's not there in this administration. That, and, and again, it's not just to excoriate the Obama administration. It's not just to excoriate the Democrats. But let's face it, the Democrats have been in control of the House and Senate for three and a half years. They haven't done jack. Matter of fact, it got messed up under their watch. Because let's understand that the president doesn't make the economic policies. Who does? The House. The House, they write the budget. The House, they draft the bills. All I've seen that's been drafted is a stimulus package, which has done nothing but build some tennis courts in the middle of Wyoming and build, uh, not even built really toward infrastructure. We're talking about reconstruction of malls someplace. We're talking about giving money so that we can do, um, what was the one I saw? I, we used, some of the stimulus money got used to build a statue someplace. We're using this stimulus, we're not using it for, for, better, for the betterment of business. We're not giving people additional tax cuts. Hell, they're talking about rolling back tax cuts. So, so we're not even doing anything good like that. We're, um, we're sitting there. We are, we're just spinning our wheels. We're, we're proposing health care legislation uh, to millions and millions and millions of people. And we haven't even considered how much that's going to cost. And as a result of that, we're, we're, again, this is something we need to get into at some point. We're uh, causing the insurance companies that are around, we're causing them to go, yeah, we're not going to insure children. You know, these, and, and of course, some people in the healthcare field are going to lose their job, their jobs as a result of Obamacare because, well, they don't know how much more money they're going to have to pay out. These healthcare providers, they don't know how much money, more money they're going to have to pay out. So they're already looking ahead. They're already thinking, well, what, we're going to have to make some cutbacks. Again, this what happens when you get government involved in private business. It's what happens when government starts putting its fingers in everything. Yeah, I have no problem with some regulation on banks. I have no problem with having monitors of Wall Street. The problem is the reason that Wall Street went bad in the first place is because government stepped in and said, you need to give loans to everybody. You guys, we've, I told this story a long time ago, and I talked about this a long time ago, where it all started. I mean, I could write a book on this. I've done enough research over the years. This, we did a whole podcast on this, I don't know, God, a year ago, two years ago. We actually, I think before the recession even really started, we talked about this as a big problem. Back in the 90s, the Democrats in power accused banks and financial institutions of redlining, which is where they basically take a map of a given area and they draw a red line, like really, literally a red line around areas where they just won't loan money to people in those sectors. Or they have very stringent policies. 
And so they said, you can't do that. You can't redline. You can't outline specific regions uh, where you consider it a high risk to put an investment in. You can't do that. You can't have these tiers of risk. That's just insane. You need to give everybody an equal opportunity because as we all know, uh, all men are created equal. And so, so therefore, all men that walk into a credit institution, all men that walk into a bank, all people that walk into any area whatsoever where a, a loan could be possible, everyone should be treated equally. Well, no, actually, unfortunately, that's not how it's supposed to work. See, if a guy that makes a million dollars a year walks in and asks for a loan for $100,000, it's pretty likely that he's going to be able to make that payment. If a guy that makes $25,000 a year comes in and asks for a similar loan, it's less likely that he's going to be able to pay it back. And of course, you have to look at credit history. You have to look at what kind of job that person has, what they're going to use the money for. If a guy is going to open a, a business, if he's going to open a, uh, you know, uh, uh, a restaurant, which is a high-risk business, especially right now, you have to actually think about it and say, I don't think we can give you that right now. If a guy walks in who's never paid his bills or doesn't have any credit history whatsoever, you kind of have to go, you know, maybe we shouldn't. If a guy wants to buy a $500,000 house and he makes $30,000 a year, you got to sit there and go, you know, I don't think you're a good risk. Unfortunately, we didn't do that. And the reason we didn't do that is because everybody had this altruistic idea. And of course it wasn't altruism, but they were trying to be altruistic and say, anybody should be able to buy a house. Everybody should be able to buy a house. Everybody should be able to have a car. Everybody should be able to have this and that. And it wasn't just Democrats that did this, by the way. This was, you know, President Bush gave a, a speech where he said the same thing. And again, you know, it's a great idea. It's a wonderful ideal Everyone should have a house, should be able to live in a house. But it's utopian, it's pie in the sky. Bottom line, it's completely unrealistic. Not everybody can afford a house. Not everybody can afford a car. There's people on the top, there's people in the middle, there's people on the bottom. When government gets involved, all of that gets skewed. So what happens is they gave money to people that couldn't afford it. They gave money to just anybody that walked through the door, basically. It was a revolving door. Here you go. And then what happens is when the guy can't make his payment, goes, uh, you know, defaults. Some other vulture comes in, swoops up the house, goes ahead and resells it. No big deal. Or the bank comes in, they get it back. They go and sell it to somebody else for a higher value. And meanwhile, the guy that was making $30,000 a year getting a $500,000 house He's fine because what happens is he just defaults and he just goes and lives somewhere else. It's like, all right, cool. I got to live in a, in a, in a beautiful house, half million dollar home. Nothing bad happened to me. The bank got it back. Everybody wins. Problem is, is that system can't sustain itself and it didn't. And it wasn't just that. There was so many other factors. But that, I mean, that was just the thing. People got greedy. Banks got greedy. Government got greedy. Everybody got their hands in the cookie jar all at once. And then all of a sudden, everything was gone. And the market blew up. Too much greed. And the problem is, is the watchdog organization that was supposed to be looking out for that, the Securities and Exchange Commission, 
Well, everybody there was too busy watching porn to give a crap. And that's literally the truth. The story came out earlier this year. Remember, we did the story on the show about how all those people over there at the SEC, they had, what was it, uh, 16 employees that were reprimanded or fired because they were watching porn. One, one guy, he had boxes of DVDs, not just CDs, but DVDs of porn stacked up to the ceiling in his office. He had literally terabytes of porn. Just insane. These are the people that should have been watching out. Meanwhile, guys like Bernie Madoff, who the SEC was warned about, Oh, yeah, he skated by. He he built $65 billion out of people. $65 billion. One guy, $65 billion. They recovered about a billion of that, by the way. Rest of that money, God knows what happened to it. Probably went to the Middle East. It went to, who knows where it went? Offshore accounts someplace. It's floating around. That's it. Wish I had some of that. Unbelievable. But hey, it's it's all good because Obama says the recession's over. He, I, I can't believe you. I understand your frustration. No, you don't. I feel your pain. Every president has had their, the dumbest thing that they could have possibly said. George H.W. Bush said, read my lips, no new taxes. Bill Clinton said, I feel your pain. Well, he said, Bill Clinton said many dumb things. I feel your pain. Uh, I smoked marijuana once, but I didn't inhale. And of course, I did not have sex with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. George W. Bush, oh yeah. He declared, he declared victory in Iraq one month after uh, we got in there. Uh, whoops. Mission accomplished. Yeah, mission accomplished. And now Obama. I understand your frustration. Really? The recession's over. Yet yeah, really? It's over? Because I remember before the recession, unemployment was like 4%. In the state of Arizona, I think it was like 3.9%. Literally, if you wanted a job, you could get a job. You, I mean, and, and it was going good even for me, and I'm self-employed. Nah. Recession's over. Good good call there, Barack. Let us know how that re-election thing goes uh, for, your, for your party here in, uh, in November. I'm, I'm dying to see that. Um, all right. Anyway, uh, you know, I, I really didn't even do a very good job of formally introducing. Uh, it is the zip code famous Michael Groff show. Welcome in. What is day? Uh, Thursday, September the 23rd, 2010. Joining me in studio, Hillary. She's uh, the official, the, the, the official uh, photographer of the zip code famous Michael Groff show. Yeah. And the official... Um, what else? What else do you do? Web design. Mm -hmm. And something else. I'm not sure what else. Yeah, not sure. No. The official girlfriend of me. <laughs> <laughs> it's about, 
but all the, there is uh, the official hot chick of the Michael Groff show. All right. Um, so, yeah, we got to talk about Bob Woodward. He wrote a uh, book about Barack Obama and uh, some of the other things that are going on in the administration and how basically um, Obama's uh, idea on Afghanistan is, hey, we're not there to win. Victory is not what we're talking about here. We just want to get out. We just want to stabilize it and leave. That's good. Why are we fighting a war when victory isn't the objective? You know, it's weird. I haven't heard a single usage of the word victory. And I've been going back. Victory hasn't been an objective there for years. Why? Why are we bothering then? I don't, I don't understand. All right, uh, so we have that. We have the Michael Grav Show Stupid News File. There's lots of stuff in there, as you know. Um, there's uh, a million other things that should be talked about. There's actually substantive things that are going on, aside from just in the political arena. Oh, look, Paris Hilton was thrown out of Japan. Well, that's important. Well, I guess the spread of STDs will be uh, held off in Japan for a little while anyway. And, uh, oh, here we go. There's a poll out. This is fun. There's a poll out. Uh, 35% of Americans want George W. Bush back in office. And, um, oh, here we go. And the United States is going to be donating, uh, contributing $50 million toward providing cooking stoves in developing countries to reduce to reduce deaths from smoke inhalation. You know, we got guys on the street right now that are homeless in the United States. You know, we actually have people in this country that don't even have a stove. We're giving stoves to foreign countries through the UN, by the way. I thought the UN didn't need the United States. I thought that was always the rap that all these countries, you know, we don't really need the United States. We, we're, we're even thinking about moving the UN operations to somewhere else because we really don't need you guys. I mean, you know, it's nice. You have, uh, you know, the city of New York to provide the UN building for us. That's cool and all, but we could put it anywhere. We, it could be in Geneva. We could have it in London. We could put it in Paris, Frankfurt. No, we'll just put it in, uh, we'll put it in Iran because apparently Iran is a wonderful, magnificent country. I see that uh, Ahmadinejad is uh, fouling our soil right now. They actually welcome him at the UN. And you don't think that the UN is a completely archaic institution? You don't think that it's completely worthless? It's completely lost its purpose in this world? When nut jobs like Ahmadinejad are welcome there, why not just open your arms wider and accept Kim Jong-il there too? Why not? He could come to this country. He can hang out. If Hitler were alive today, would he be welcome at the UN? Well, I don't see any delegations here from Poland. Oh, yeah, because I took it over. <laughs> it's now new Germany. It's Germany too, the revenge of Germans. That's funny. I don't see any delegations here from a lot of European countries because, well, I've conquered them all. Come on in, Mr. Hitler. Come on in. Yep, that's how the UN would be today. Apparently, Ahmadinejad, welcome. 
Yep, the same Iran. I love how they're welcoming them here as they continue to hold two people captive that were hiking near the border of Iran, and then they've uh, they got captured. Remember, we did that story last week about the woman that uh, they they let one of the three people that were there go. Iran just decided arbitrarily they were going to capture three people that were hiking in the mountains of Iraq. Uh, they were near enough to the Iranian border to where Iranians just got freaked out because three people are hiking. So they, uh, they decided to kidnap them, take them into custody, and then accuse them of being spies. That's good. And so they released one of them finally. And of course, the woman that they released, you know, we read some of her comments. And then I heard she's, uh, they're all, all three of these people, I guess, they're just like, you know, I don't know, they're hippies or they're something. I don't know what they are, but they're, hey man, you know, um, we were just hiking, man. We were just hanging out, dude. And um, we, we became captives of the Iranians, the merciful Iranians. This woman that was released, you know, she's, because she's afraid that if she says, I'm sure if she's afraid if she says anything bad about the Iranians, they're just going to kill the other two people that are captive. One of them is like her fiance. Meanwhile, I bet she probably feels that way anyway. No, man, every country is grand. There shouldn't be any borders. We should all be able to get along just fine. She speaks with such an affect. I don't believe in borders, man. I don't believe in walls. I don't believe in leaders of countries. We're all the leader. Every one of us, man, dude, bro. We're all there. I want to thank the Ayatollah Khomeini and President Ahmadinejad, who is all merciful, for allowing me to escape. Meanwhile, if it were me and I, and I left, I know they're still holding the other two. They're going to kill them anyway. If they're going to kill them, they're going to kill them. I mean, I would, you know, at this point, I would just, I would, this is how I would, I would say, tell the president. I would say, hey, um, President Obama, if you got any balls, why don't you just blow the crap out of that country? It's a worthless pile. Of then again, I would never be put in that position anywhere because I wouldn't hike. I wouldn't hike in New Mexico because I'd be afraid that I'm too close to Iran. Okay? I wouldn't even fly to Turkey because I'm too afraid I'm too close to Iran. Please. I wouldn't touch that region. If I took possession of somebody else's soul, I wouldn't even go there. Absolutely not. But let's just say I had a moment of weakness or an entire 17 hours of weakness, which is how long it probably takes to get there. I still wouldn't do it. I, I still, I wouldn't, I mean, I, I would just, I don't know. That is just uh, the most insane situation. All right, we have other stuff too. Uh, and we got to get to the pop chart. Oh my God, really? The pop chart. All of that coming up. Remember, recession's over. Just remember that. According to Barack Obama and according to economists, the recession is over. In fact, the recession's been over for 15 months. Stop freaking out about it. Honestly. Well, okay. I'll... You know what? I'll keep that in mind. Thanks, Mr. President. A lot of stuff about this Tea Party candidate, Christine O'Donnell. 
And like, I think she might have talked to witches or might have been involved in Wicca 15 years ago or something. So I guess that means she's a nut. Meanwhile, we just, uh, Robert Byrd, who was part of the KKK, nobody cared about that. And he was a respected senator for 50, it's almost 60 years. The KKK has actually killed black people. Wicca, meanwhile, which I think they just go out in the forest and they worship nature. That's terrible. All right, we'll be back. Michael Groff Show and um, Mike at KMGX.com, our email and PayPal address. MichaelGroff.com for everything else Michael Groff related. More coming up. Segment number two, it's the zip code famous Michael Graff show, Mike at KMGX.com. That's our email address, also our PayPal. Michael Graff show, AOL Instant Messenger. And of course, for all things Michael Graff related, you know it's the one, the only. MichaelGraff.com. Alright. Joining me in studio, of course, is the one, the only, Hillary. Hi. Hi. And uh, just looking at this, so uh, there's a new book coming out. It already has sold 635,000 uh, advanced orders, or they've, well, they've printed 635,000 copies. Uh, uh, it's a book by Bob Woodward. It is uh, detailing uh, the latest in uh, well, what's going on with the Obama administration. It sort of paints the current administration and the and the chaos that is within it um, in a very a very interesting light uh, first of all this is let's see the name of the book I'm trying to remember here uh, just going from my uh, notes it, it talks about first of all it talks about Obama urgently looking for a way out of the war in Afghanistan last year repeatedly pressing his top military advisors uh, for an exit plan when, of course, they never actually gave him an exit strategy. They didn't know how to handle this war from day one. When Obama got briefed on what's going on when he was coming into the office of president, he was like a deer in the headlights. You know, because he ran on this idea of change and, oh, yeah, we're going to get out of Afghanistan. It's all going to be over with. Everything's going to be good. We're going to sing Kumbaya and it's all going to be great. 
Well, the problem was is that then he actually gets into office and he realizes, oh, well, we can't just leave. We can't just leave Afghanistan. We can't just leave Iraq. So we have to actually try and do something. But I have no idea what to do. See, this is, again, what happens when you elect a guy that has no leadership experience whatsoever. He's never been an executor of anything. Yeah, a senator for four years, whatever. Where he was there, what, 60% of the time he was in attendance? Great. The guy was a community organizer. Never had any military experience. Never had leadership experience. Doesn't know what it's like to lead. Has no idea what it is to lead the most powerful military on the planet, arguably. Frustrated with his military commanders for consistently offering only options that required significantly more troops, Obama finally crafted his own strategy, dictating a classified six-page terms sheet that sought to uh, limit U.S. involvement. This is in um, Obama's Wars, which is uh, to be um, released on Monday. That's the name of the book. Woodward's meeting-by-meeting, memo-by-memo account of the 2009 Afghan Strategy Review, the president avoided talk of victory as he described his objectives. Quote, This needs to be a plan about how we're going to hand it off and get out of Afghanistan, Obama is quoted as telling White House uh, aides as he laid out his reasons for adding 30,000 troops in a short-term escalation. Quote, Everything we're doing has to be focused on how we're going to get to the point where we can reduce our handprint, our footprint. It's in our national security interest. There cannot be any wiggle room. Obama rejected the military's request for 40,000 troops as part of an expensive mission that had no foreseeable end. Quote, I'm not doing 10 years, he told Secretary of Defense Robert Gates and Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton at a meeting on October 26, 2009. Quote, I'm not doing long-term nation building. I am not spending a trillion dollars. No, you'll just spend a trillion dollars on other crap. On healthcare that has no foreseeable end, that has no no budget. I mean, it's just it's like a blank check. Then the the most shocking thing that Obama talks about in here is Obama says, "Oh yeah, we could absorb another terrorist attack. We could. We absorb one. We're we're good." Then afterwards, he sort of goes, "Well, we'll do everything we can to prevent it." But even a 9-11, which was the biggest attack ever, we absorbed it and we are stronger. I don't know. Are we stronger? Are we stronger after 9-11? I mean, we're more secure, perhaps. But are we stronger? Are we a freer nation after 9-11? Boy, I don't think so. But for the president to sit there and say, yeah, you know, we can absorb another terrorist attack. Nah, no big deal. Don't you think maybe that that ought to be a big concern, not just like sort of a blow off like, ah, you know, we're strong. We could absorb. We could take it. These guys, ah, whatever. Isn't it that attitude that sort of got us 9-11 in the first place? You know, President Clinton, ah, Osama bin Laden, whatever. He's not really a threat. We should, we, I know you're bringing him to me. I know he's promised death to America, but whatever. And then George W. Bush, well, I know we have these memos that say that, you know, they're training to fly planes into buildings, but ah, whatever. Isn't it that sort of apathetic attitude that, ah, we could take it. 
Not a big deal. Isn't it that apathetic attitude that got us 9-11 in the first place? Wouldn't it be kind of refreshing if the president said, you know what? I don't want another 9-11. We can't take another 9-11. I want us to do more. I want us to be proactive in preventing it. No, instead it was, ah, we can take it. It's not a big deal. Whatever. 9-11, schmein 11. Most of the book, though, centers on uh, the, the strategy of uh, Afghanistan. And some of the failures and some of the weird strategies and some of the things that, uh, listen, it, it portrays a, a, quite frankly, it portrays a cabinet that was at each other's throats. You talk about uh, several uh, generals uh, walking out of meetings. Let's see, here's, uh, let's see. The CIA created controls and pays for a clandestine 3,000-man paramilitary army of local Afghans known as counterterrorism pursuit teams. Woodward describes these teams as elite, well-trained units that conduct highly sensitive covert operations into Pakistan as part of a stepped-up campaign against al-Qaeda and Afghan Taliban havens there. Let's see what else here. A classified exercise in May showed that the government was woefully unprepared to deal with a nuclear terrorist attack in the United States. The scenario involved the detonation of a small crude nuclear weapon in Indianapolis and the simultaneous threat of a second blast in Los Angeles. Obama, in the interview, uh, told Woodward he called the nuclear attack here, quote, a potential game changer. He said, when I get down on the list of things that I have to worry about all the time, that is at the top of the list because that's one where you can't afford any mistakes. Yeah, uh, the problem is, is that we were unprepared for it. This is, again, this, this shows, this book that's coming out, this Obama Wars book, shows that, you know, after all this talk, after all of this crap with, you know, nine years after 9-11, we're just, we're not prepared. We're not any closer to eliminating Al-Qaeda. We're not any closer to capturing Osama bin Laden. We're not any closer to doing anything that would actually make us stronger, as Obama claims. We haven't really done anything. We've spent all of this money. You know what we've managed to do with the trillions that we've spent? We've deposed Saddam Hussein, which is nice, great, fine. And we've captured a lot of number two guys in Al-Qaeda. That's, that's what they always say every time we capture. This is the number two guy. This is the number two guy. This is, I thought there could only be one number two. I don't understand how it is we've captured like 78 number two guys in Al-Qaeda. But somehow we can't get to Osama bin Laden. I mean, the guy's probably dead now. He had kidney problems 10 years ago. He's six foot four and needs constant kidney dialysis. I'm sure it's not very easy to hide that guy. I'm sure he's probably dead. Regardless, it seems that he keeps showing up. It seems that somehow a tape keeps showing up. Whether or not it's old, who God knows. Whether or not it's even him, God knows. All I know is that it doesn't seem that we're any closer to accomplishing anything and this Afghanistan stuff, I still don't understand why we're there. I understood why we were there initially. Afghanistan, I was much more easily able to justify versus Iraq. But then it, it became this thing where we're just sitting there. 
and we're shooting at people and we're shooting at Taliban and while Taliban, well, they're sort of a terrorist outfit, I mean, they're not really Al-Qaeda. So I'm, I'm really confused. And if we're not going to, if our objective is not victory, which I'm not exactly sure what victory even means there, if we're not even talking about victory, why are we there? Why are we spending untold billions of dollars there when clearly there's, there's no objective in this administration? We've sent 50,000 troops there. And yet, nothing. We've done really nothing. We managed to get Pat Tillman killed. We did that. That was, boy, there. What an accomplishment. We killed one of our own guys. A guy that gave up a prominent NFL career and the guy that became the face of, of doing something to fight what he felt was a real threat against the United States gets his ass shot off and the military covers it up. Great. See, this is why I say, as soon as we're done with this, with, with Afghanistan, as soon as we're done with Iraq, which God knows when that'll actually ever be. I think we're going to permanently, just like Japan, just like Germany, we're going to have bases there permanently. But when we're done, I say we're done. I say, that's it. No more meddling in any other country. That's it. Done. Over. Yeah, well, what happens if Iran, well, if Iran decides to launch a nuke, then we wipe them off the face of the earth. Fine. If, uh, but otherwise, um, no, I say, uh, just, Stay out of it. You know, if Iran decides to invade Kuwait or if they go after some other nation over there or if they just decide, ah, oh, we're going to fight Israel, we tell Israel, go ahead, blow them up. We don't care. We're, yeah, but aren't you going to help us? Yeah, I don't know. But you're our ally. Well, yeah, we are, I guess. But you've got enough nukes. You can blow them up yourselves. You don't need us. And I say we stop tying the hands of Israel and we just let them go. We let them do whatever they want to do. And what we do is we focus on number one, and that is the United States. We focus on our own people, our own infrastructure. Stop giving $50 million to the UN so that they can give stoves to people in, in Africa or wherever. Yeah, that, that story is here. There's more from the Bob Woodward book, but we can discuss that anytime. Here's, this is a fine example, again, of your money at work, your tax dollars. Your tax dollars are paying for stoves in other countries. Um, let's see if I can find it here now. I just, uh, I think I just lost it. Here it is. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton announces that uh, a U.S. contribution of more than $50 million toward providing clean cooking stoves in developing countries to reduce deaths from smoke inhalation and uh, also to fight climate change. The U.S. funding, which will be spread over five years, is part of a global alliance for clean cook stoves. Being started to combat a problem, officials uh, equate to uh, with uh, malaria and unclean water in terms of their health impact worldwide. Some 1.9 million premature deaths, mostly among women and young children, occur every year due to smoke inhalation from, from uh, rudimentary stoves. But this sounds like a PSA. I could just see it now. They get, you know, they get the guy that gets right up into the microphone. He gets right up into the microphone and he says, Some 1.9 million premature deaths mostly among women and young children, occur every year due to smoke inhalation from rudimentary stoves. 
which in many cases consist of a few stones and an open fire inside or outside a shelter. This has to stop. Support clean cooking stoves for developing nations. Yeah, what about the, sh the schlubs here in this country who don't have anything? Screw them. They're not in a developing country. No, they're in our country. Shouldn't we care? Shut up. Anyway, help the poor folks that uh, live in other nations with your hard-earned tax money. This message in the public interest brought to you by, well, brought to you by the Obama administration. Wasting money since 2009. Don't you think 50 million dollars, can you imagine how many stoves or how many small apartments we could provide to the homeless here? For 50, I mean, if we're just going to give handouts, why don't we just give that 50 million in handouts to, well, I don't know, our country? Why are we giving it to the worthless UN? What does the UN do anymore that's of any use to people here in the United States? Because as far as I understand it, the UN, uh, its teeth, if you will, in terms of military and in terms of funding, comes from, well, the United States. And I know someone's going to send me, you know, Mike, the, Uni the, the United States hasn't paid their UN dues or whatever in uh, 17 years. Or, you know, somebody always sends me that when I say that. But yet somehow we're the people that keep funding everything. We're the people that provided them with a building here in New York. We're the people uh, that decided to, uh, that, that anytime they need anything for, um, for like Bosnia, guess who provides the troops? Yeah, the United States. They need, they need $50 million for stoves for uh, developing nations. That 50 million, that doesn't come from Lithuania. That doesn't come from Norway. That doesn't come from France. It comes from the United States. The UN without the US would be worthless. It is already worthless. It would be even more worthless. Smoke from such cooking methods can lead to, here we go, ready? Childhood pneumonia, lung cancer, bronchitis, cardiovascular disease. While contributing to climate change through emissions of carbon dioxide and methane, two major greenhouse gases and black carbon, which is the new, let's see, whatever. So wait, so you mean that climate change must have been going on throughout the history of man? Because as I recall, and, and I could be wrong, you could fact check me on this, Hillary, back me up on this, but uh, I don't think that I don't think that throughout the history of man, we've used clean cooking stoves, right? Clean? No. Yeah. So does that mean since we've all, since we, for many, for a long time in our, in the history of man, we did use, you know, little uh, rocks in a circle with a f open fire. You could say that man has been contributing to climate change for the last, well, how long has man been on earth? About 65,000 years, they believe, or more. Well, gee, I mean, 65,000 years we've been contributing to climate change, I guess. The new, alignment, uh, the new Alliance to Combat Issues group U.S. government agencies with the United Nations Foundation, Germany, Peru, Norway, and the World Health Organization, and corporate backers, including Morgan Stanley and Shell, among others, uh, are, are all behind this. That quote, this is something that touches on climate, on health, on women's uh, empowerment, on um, 
deforestation, and on poverty. Reed Duchin, who's vice president for energy and climate of the United Nations Foundation, said in an interview. He said that the group would seek to create a market for cleaner, less polluting stoves and fuels to supply some 500 million world, uh, households worldwide now with inefficient and dangerous cooking methods. India, South Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa are all areas in which the problem was most acute. Quote, you're not going to solve the problem with aid alone, he said. You're going to have to create a thriving cook stove industry that can supply both stoves and fuels that people want and need. Why stop there? Why not give them clean food as well? We should be providing them with food. And we ought to be building them sufficient shelters so that they don't catch cold. And we ought to give them nice clothes so that, you know, the little snowflakes don't, uh, don't, don't get colds. And so that they have proper covering when it's hot or when it's cold or whatever, when it rains. And I don't know, we should build cities for them. And I think what else we should probably be doing is um, we should make sure that everybody gets, uh, what else? How about a car so that they can all get around? But, of course, it's got to be a green car. I mean, we don't, we don't want to give them one of these gas guzzles. We're not going to give them an SUV, so we're going to give them one of these, uh, one of these uh, egg cars, you know? These little cars that's shaped like an egg. These electric cars. We're going to give them a Prius. So, I don't know why we're... St- we might as well just... Why, why bother? Why not just give them everything? I'm wondering how a guy that's... Like a homeless guy in downtown Phoenix right now, for example... Guy sitting on the street. It's 100 degrees out right now in Phoenix. A guy sitting out there um, on the streets, sweating his ass off, not sure where his next meal is going to come from. I wonder how that guy feels that our own country is spending $50 million to make sure that some dude in Uzbekistan has a nice stove. Some guy in Chad or some guy in, uh, I don't know, one of these one of these African nations has a fine stove. I'm sure the homeless guy'd probably like a stove. He'd probably like just something to eat. Fifty million dollars. The guy would probably settle for ten bucks so he can go uh, over to uh, the KFC or the McDonald's or somewhere so he can get himself a meal. Or walk into Safeway or Albertsons or something, fries, so the guy could get himself uh, something to eat. Or probably, you know, a 12-pack of beer. But whatever. Something. But luckily, we're giving that money to... Um, <laughs> we're, we're giving that money to, like, somebody. We're giving it to India. That's great. We're giving it to Burkini Faso. Wonderful. That's good. You know, I'm kind of hungry. I'd sure like some of that money. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. Here's This is a great story. From the Michael Graff Show Stupid News File, this is good. So if you're a traveler, you're going to love this story. Have you ever used TripAdvisor? Maybe, yeah. TripAdvisor is one of these things that... Um, <laughs> <laughs> TripAdvisor is one of these places. You know, you go on there and you check out like hotels and like review of different places across the country or across the world to see if it's a hotel you want to stay in. People provide their reviews of different places, including hotels and... You know, they decide, you know, they give it a a star rating or a grade or whatever based on the service, the condition of the room, everything like that. 
Well, a British couple got kicked out of their hotel after the hotel manager accused them of writing a negative review on TripAdvisor. And then the manager called the police to get him thrown out. Adrian Healy, 33, tells the Blackpool Gazette that earlier this month, he'd booked a room at a hotel in the seaside resort of Blackpool, England, to take his first vacation with his girlfriend, Sherry Andrews, 33, since being diagnosed with cancer 18 months ago. But the Golden Beach Hotel's manager asked them to leave two days into their paid three-night stay, as they, uh, this is their account that they told the Gazette, adding that the manager stormed into their room, accused them of writing an online review, and called the police. By the way, so if you look uh, at this hotel, this Blackpool uh, Hotel, TripAdvisor, it has 167 online reviews, this hotel, uh, 59%. Do not recommend this hotel. <laughs> Quote, we had been there a day when they said we couldn't get back in our rooms because they were recarpeting. And we didn't complain. All we asked was if they could give us an extra towel, Healy tells the paper. Then, on our second evening, he, the manager of the hotel, he banged on the door and told us to get out accusing us of writing a review on TripAdvisor and said that he could call the police. And so, of course, he did. He called the police. They showed up. The police said, well, you guys haven't committed a crime, but we have to throw you out anyway because he doesn't want you anymore. And it's a civil matter. Wow. So, and be careful what you do. Get, uh, be very, very careful um, what, what happens. Speaking of being careful, now social networking sites, I, I keep telling you, social networking sites are, are like the devil. They're evil. Um, I, I reluctantly, uh, now Hillary says I need to be on the social networking sites more often. I need to get a Twitter account going. You know, I need to self-promote more. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, man. These, these social networking sites get just, they're nothing but trouble. This teacher in Florida has a Facebook account. And of course, um, this is this. Well, you know, I don't even have to go any further with this story. You already know what's going on. So the teacher writes, it's in the Manatee School District. They're putting out new rules for teachers and how they can communicate online. For one, teachers would be banned from communicating with students on Facebook and MySpace unless they have written permission from the parent. Okay, fine, you know, teacher sex scandal, all that kind of stuff. Uh, they also can't do anything that would cast the, uh, the district, the teachers, or students in a negative, scandalous, or embarrassing light. Now, the reason that they are instituting this policy is because a teacher posted on his Facebook page that he hates his job hates his students, and hated coming to work. (laughs) So the school district gave him a five-day suspension without pay. Later this month, the district will have a public hearing over the proposed changes, but school officials say something needs to be done to catch up to the technology that is changing and uh, bending the boundaries of how we communicate out of the classroom. 
Yeah, or what you should do is just be careful of, one, what you say, and two, who your friends are on Facebook and, you know, what you decide to make public on your social networking site. You know, if if you're on Facebook and you're a teacher, for example, it's probably not a good idea to have the principal of said school as uh, one of your friends. I mean, I know it's all right, you know, because then it's always awkward because then if the principal does friend you on Facebook and you ignore it, then it can cause tension. This is why social networking sites are bad. This is exactly the kind of complications that they have. If See, I think if you're a teacher or if you're in any kind of a, of a situation where you're regularly encountering the public and especially the same people every day, and that would be teacher, uh, especially um, or or... I don't know, CEO of a company or something. I just think that it's a bad idea to be on Facebook or MySpace or Twitter because it can only lead to problems. Because then if you make a post like, don't you hate it when people come in with a great big smile on their face at 7 a.m. And you know, then they could say, well, who's that directed at? Anything can be construed badly on Facebook. It's just, it's a bad idea. I'm telling you, man, social networking sites, they're, they're, they've already proven to be very problematic. You know, employers now, you know, they, they go to Google right away and they look up your name and they see what they can find about you just, just on your Facebook and Twitter alone. They look at that. And if they see you got a, a and people are, are really bad judges of what they should put up on Facebook, people will put anything up there. So some people put up pictures of, you know, they're taking hits off a beer bong. You know, they're, they're, they're drink, they're doing a beer bong. Uh, they're doing, uh, they're, they're out like partying at like 2 a.m. someplace and they're half naked. And then an employer goes, you know, I, I don't think we should hire you. Why? You know, it's not a, that big a deal. Well, you know, I just don't think that we want one of our teachers uh, running around, you know, doing beer bongs. But that's my private life. Yeah, well, it was private until you posted the pictures on the internet. No longer private. You have no reasonable expectation of privacy on the internet. I mean, again, that's why it's the internet. It's public. It's the public forum, sort of. If you want to post pictures of yourself someplace, shoot it someplace where they're not going to be made public. I was just sitting here today, and like, there's a picture of me that's online. It's an old picture. It's from like 2005 or something. It's an old picture I just put as a throwaway for my show. It's like I just wanted a picture of me up someplace. And I hate this picture. It's like me in a leather jacket, and I'm wearing like a T-shirt underneath this white T-shirt. And I've got, a, I've got my uh, 2001 uh, Arizona Diamondbacks World Champions hat on. I'm like, I hate, and I look like, I look like I'm ready to kill somebody in this picture. I look very serious. I hate that picture. Now, Hillary thinks it's hot. <laughs> it is. She doesn't care. Like, all the pictures I put up are fine by her. But I hate this. I cannot stand this picture. And it's just, it's everywhere now. I can't I don't even know how to get rid of it. And I'm, I'm stressing out, like, how to get rid of this picture. It's a picture, and I just, I don't want it. I just don't want it around anywhere. I'm trying to figure out how to get rid of it. This is my point. Once something is on the internet, it's very hard to get rid of. I mean, you almost have to get one of those um, reputation defender kind of outfits or um, 
a, a publicist or somebody to go around for you and send cease and desist notes to like every single website available. You have to literally spend ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars just to get things taken off the net that you don't want up there. It's sad, isn't it? Mike at KMGX.com. That's the email address. Also, our PayPal can always donate to this program. We really do need and appreciate all of your donations. Um, that's how this show stays on the air. And uh, I, I'm serious about that. If you haven't donated lately, this is this is now, I'm, I'm going into pitch mode. If you haven't donated to the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show lately, you know, now's a great time. The holidays are just around the corner. I have a lot of bills and uh, I, have, um, I have a show to run and I, I have a lot of marketing I need to do for this show so we can expand it and have it heard by more people. So wouldn't you please uh, send a donation? How's that? See, you should actually say it. You should, you should try and promote the donations because, quite frankly, um, nobody wants to hear me say it. They'd rather, they'd rather you say it. I don't, I'm just saying. So, quick break, and then we'll come back. And uh, we have to look at the pop chart. Big, uh, big pop chart uh, coming up. We'll see what's been going on over there. I'm sure it's just more of the same, but... More coming. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Grav Show. Oh, yeah, michaelgrav.com. I want to also mention that. We'll be back. The Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show on a September the 23rd, 2010. Oh, it's been years now and I don't look the same. Mike at KMGX.com, our email and PayPal address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. Also, MichaelGroff.com for all of your other various and sundry Michael Groff needs. Also send us uh, messages over there on AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Grav Show is the screen name. Oh yeah! Hey! 
everybody's favorite time of the show. We haven't uh, checked the pop chart in a while to see how uh, the world of pop music is going. I'm just going to take a guess, though, that it's probably still in pretty bad shape. But you never know. Maybe we've had a resurgence. Let's, uh, you know, it's that time. Let's... Let's do it. Every week we take a look at the top 10 songs in the world of top 40 of pop music. Yeah. Pop, pop, pop music. Pop, pop, pop music. These are the 10 most played songs on top 40 radio stations across the country. And at number 10 this week, it's... This is actually not a bad song. I, I should point out, but... Still... It's Maroon 5 with Misery. Yeah, a band with real instruments. Auto-tune, not included. See, Hillary, the, the pop chart has has gotten, a, at least this is a little bit better. Yeah. All right. At number nine, though, um, here's a name I haven't heard in music in a while. What, it's been seven, eight years since I've heard, uh, here we go, Nelly. Remember Nelly? Nelly's back. This is called Just a Dream. I just remember that song, Hot and Her. Nice long intro. Mostly Saturday this afternoon. 99 right now. Going to be 78 tonight. Kiss FM. Yeah. Ah, this is the pop chart I know and love. So apparently Nelly whining. That's that's his new idea. My my shouty. You know, shorty, I'm gonna tell you this one time, you're the illest. <laughs> All right, getting uh, someplace a little bit uh, different here. Florida, hey, Florida's back. There's a song called Club Can't Handle Me. I haven't heard even heard this yet. I have, I have no idea what this is, but I'm guessing since it's Florida, it's going to suck. Safe guess? Yeah. Yeah. You know I know how. 
Yeah. Ah, back to auto tune. Awesome. I can see why this is so popular. Club can't even handle me right now. I know that. I go in there and that happens to me a lot. I walk in and wear my Hawaiian shirt. You know, I don't understand why more people, you know, why I'm not more popular at club. I wear a Hawaiian shirt. I'm wearing a big old 10-gallon hat. Kind of reminds me of our discussion about that Nicki Minaj song last week. That rant, by the way, posted up on YouTube. But uh, these um, these songs are all just so homogenized, so bad. Like for example, number seven. Number seven is uh, Kesha. Kesha with a dollar sign. Take it off. I got to go through some of these emails that we got about some of these songs, too. Here we go. You know, I say this a lot, and I have to just, I have to sort of reiterate this point. If if Kesha walked in to my office as a record company executive 30 minutes, or 30, 30 minutes ago, well, 30 minutes ago, I'd throw her right out too, 30 years ago, and came with this crap. Everybody, if, if somebody walked into my office saying, er, buddy, they'd be lucky if they walked out alive. Oh, thank God. None of my friends, I don't know a single person in my life that says, er, buddy. That should, be a, that should be a rule of thumb. If you know anybody that actually says, er, buddy, and, you know, means it in a, in a serious way that that's how they actually talk, might be time to get new friends. Just saying. Everybody. 
Donna, you walk into my office as a record company exec with this crap 30 years ago. You're going to be running out of the building. Number six. It's uh, Usher featuring Pitbull. DJ got me falling in love. Yeah, man. So we back in the club. Actually, it's the rocking from side. DJ got us falling in love. Thank God the week is done. By the way, I did actually change the song. This is a different song, just so you know. Everybody. That should be in every song. It really should. All right, at um, number five, Hillary, this is your. This is for you specifically. Um, This is uh, Eminem and Rihanna with "Love the Way You Lie." Here you go. I know you're a fan. Yeah, it's number five this week. Number five. We should get the lyrics for this because I'd love to know what Eminem's screaming, but I can't understand a single word he's saying in here. I can't tell you what it is. I can only tell you what it feels like. And right now, it's a steel knife in my windpipe. I can't breathe, but I still fight. Well, I can fight as long as the wrong feels right. Something about the word the. It's like I'm huffing I think. Exploitive deleted. Something about rhyming back with back. That's that's good. I can see why you think this guy's a genius. This is a jamming tune. Hot jamming. Alright. I 
Are you going to have this uh, jamming in your car? Yes. Yeah? No. Well, now, what what separates this? So see, because I, I, I'm not a fan of Eminem, so I don't know. What, sep- what makes this song suck, but other Eminem songs good? I, I haven't listened to any of his new stuff, so I don't know. But I mean, so the this... The old stuff was funny. The old stuff was funny. Uh-huh. But this is just, this is just garbage. Annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Right. See, he lost the comedy. <laughs> now, this is the serious Marshall Mathers. Bruno Mars has number four. With uh, just the way you are. Prepare for wussy song here. Not, I'm a dude. Yeah. I know, I know. When I compliment her, she won't believe me. And I know, so, I know. So I actually have see what I see. But every time she asks me, do I look okay? Oh, uh, yeah. When I see your face, there's not a thing that I would. It's a guy, right? I, is it? It's. I think it's a dude, Bruno. It so doesn't sound like a dude. This guy's goose stepping all the way to the top of the chart. All right, number three is uh, is Tayo Cruz. Oh, now this is this is a very important song. This is called Dynamite. Oh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. I came to dance, 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 dance. I hit the floor because that's my plans, 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 plans. I'm wearing all my favorite brands, 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 brands. Give me space for both my hands, 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 hands. You, you, because it goes on and on and on. It fits every. It, that fits everywhere. That's been on. We've been do, using that drop for a year. It fits into everything, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I came to move, 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 move. Get out the way of me and my crew. I'm in the club, so I'm gonna do, 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 do. Just what the folk came here to do. I don't know if I was at if I was at a party someplace and, the, and this song came on these these songs came on I don't even know what I would do like would I actually would I just get up and leave I mean what would I do I mean 
If you were there with me, I, we would have to go out and, and have a smoke of a, you know, something. Because I, I would need it. I would definitely require it. Just saying. Right? Yeah, I would too. Yeah. I'm saying hypothetically. Hypothetically. All right. Meanwhile, number two is our very poor quality version of Enrique Iglesias featuring Pitbull, who's featured in every song, apparently. This is I Like It. You might be asking yourself, well, if you know you have a bad quality version of the song, why haven't you bothered to go get a better one? And the answer is, uh, frankly, I don't care. I mean, the pop chart is what it is. Something about Enrique's boyfriend being on vacation doesn't have to know. That's good. All right, and the number one song, of course, uh, on the pop chart for the week, the the song that is most played on, on pop radio stations across the country. You ready for this? It's Katy Perry with Teenage Dreams. She's kind of okay to look at, but... Ever since that, I, I ever since that I kissed a girl song, I, I think it's gone downhill. I think hot and cold was probably okay, but she had that song "Waking Up in Vegas," which had a little catchy hook, but not not even really. It was just had Vegas in it, so I, I paid attention. But that was it. But this is better than a lot of the other crap that's on here. I'll give it that. All right, well, there you go. That's a uh, look at your pop chart, folks. Yeah. For another week. Uh, this You have T-Mobile, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, for those of you that have T-Mobile, be aware uh, they may be censoring your text messages. Yeah, uh, they they claim that they actually have the right to censor your text messages and are involved in a lawsuit over just that. This is a little bit complicated, but see if you can follow this with me. This is uh, a little bit weird. T-Mobile told a federal judge Wednesday that it may pick and choose which text messages to deliver on its network in a case weighing whether wireless carriers have the same must-carry obligations as wireline telephone providers. The Bellevue, Washington-based wireless service is being sued by its text by a texting service claiming that T-Mobile stopped servicing its short code clients after it signed up a California medical marijuana dispensary. In a court filing, T-Mobile said that it had the right to 
pre-approve easy, easy textings clientele, which it said the New York-based texting service failed to submit for approval. So easy texting is one of these outfits. You know what they do? You know how like you can text the word uh, church to 313131 or something? And then it gives you like a schedule of when the church services are, or like you can text a a word to like, you can text Cardinals to a radio station. It gives you news and information about the Arizona Cardinals or whatever, you know, sports thing. So that's it. That's what this company does. Well, I guess the suit involves that they were involved with a, a medical marijuana dispensary. Like you could text the word like pot or whatever to, you know, a number. And then it gives you the locations of the nearest medical marijuana dispensaries. And T-Mobile said, you can't use our service for that. What do you think of that? That's weird. It should be illegal. It should, what should be illegal? To censor that, right? Well, this is T-Mobile's argument. Their filing, which by the way, you can actually download this entire, their entire filing in PDF form. Now, I haven't read their, the whole thing, but they say that they have the discretion to require pre-approval for any short code marketing campaigns that are run on its network and to enforce the guidelines by terminating programs for which a content provider failed to obtain the necessary approval. Such approval is necessary, T-Mobile added, quote, to protect the carrier and its customers from potentially illegal, fraudulent, or offensive marketing campaigns conducted on its network. T-Mobile says, hey, as far as we're concerned, federal drug laws supersede these. or they, they, They're not even going that far. They're just copping out and saying, ah, we don't want to be involved in anything that could potentially be considered illegal. So if you want to have a medical marijuana dispensary, you want to text, a, you can't use our service to talk about that. Of course, the counter argument to this is that basically, um, what what's where's the end game here? Where if you take this argument to its logical end, if somebody is texting about something illegal, or if somebody is texting something that they deem inappropriate, can T-Mobile then suddenly just decide to not deliver that text message? because it's not appropriate by their own terms of use or something. No, they should just not be reading them to begin with. Yeah. They really shouldn't. Unless people are complaining. The uh, legal flap, of course, comes as the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, has been dragging its feet over uh, clarifying the rules for wireless carriers. The FCC was asked in 2007 to announce clear rules whether wireless carriers, unlike their wired uh, brethren, may ban legal content that they do not support. The so-called network neutrality issue made huge headlines last month when Google, along with Verizon, uh, urged Congress not to bind wireless carriers to the same rules as wired or wireline carriers. Of course, easy texting claims that they will not go out of business if a judge does not comply, if the judge you know, doesn't rule in their favor. Uh, but T-Mobile does account for about 15% of the nation's wireless traffic. A similar text messaging flap occurred in 2007, but ended without any sort of litigation. When Verizon reversed itself and allowed an abortion rights group to send text messages 
to its supporters. See, this is the this is where you get into freedom of speech versus a private company. Now, this is the thing. So, can a cell provider decide what content is allowed on its own network? Yeah. And if if they can in that same vein, if they have that right in theory, can they then decide okay, we're not going to allow we're we're not going to allow anything uh you know, the locations of medical marijuana dispensaries. And then could they then say, well, we don't want any cursing. I'm just I'm taking it to but I'm okay. Could can we ban cursing on our network? They'd lose a lot of customers. Sure, but they lose like ninety percent of the text messages. <laughs> but I mean, could they ban anything? And it, does this should they make this clear in their in their uh, terms of service? What they, that they give their customers? Should they make this clear in the contract? Because as far as I know, Verizon Wireless doesn't have anything like this. I mean, you've you've got to pay for your text messaging, but let's say you get unlimited text. I mean, can you what? What constitutes unlimited texts? What constitutes unlimited? What constitutes your ability to be able to use their service? Is there, is there really no limit? Well, apparently there is with T-Mobile. So T-Mobile, looking at your text messages and looking at what kind of content and deciding, picking and choosing what's right and what's wrong. How about that? I don't know. That just seems weird. And then here's an interesting, uh, this is uh, nearly one in five gay bisexual men, gay and bisexual men, in 21 major U.S. cities are infected with HIV. Nearly half of them don't even know it, according to U.S. health officials. Young men, and especially young black men, are least likely to know if they're infected with HIV, according to a study by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Quote, we need to reinvigorate our response to preventing HIV among gay and bisexual men. Dr. Jonathan Merrin, Merriman, uh, who's the director of the CDC's Division of HIV AIDS Prevention, said in a telephone interview, quote, we can't allow HIV to continue to uh, its de devastating role and uh, its, its significant toll among gay and bisexual men and in particular among young black men. Uh, Merman's comments echoed an AIDS policy rolled out in July by the White House that asked states and federal agencies to find ways to cut new HIV infections by 25%. Researchers at the CDC studied um, uh, 8,153 men who have sex with men in 21 U.S. cities. The men were taking part in the 2008 National HIV Behavioral Surveillance System, which looked at the prevalence and awareness of the human uh, immunodeficiency virus. And um, see, overall, they found that 19% of gay men are infected with HIV in these 21 cities that they study. I mean, that is, it's about one in five. That's, I mean, that's scary, isn't it? You know, sleep with any gay men, Mike. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and keep it in my pants. But I mean, they're just so hot. <laughs> the study found that 28% of gay black men infected with HIV compared with 18% of Hispanics and 16% of white men. 
black men in the study were uh, also least likely to be aware of their infection with 59% unaware of their infection compared with uh, 46% of Hispanics and only 28% of white men. Age also plays a role. Among 18 to 29-year-old men, 63% did not know that they were infected with HIV compared with 37% of men over 30. See, that's the thing too, the young and invincible side of people. You know, you're 18, you're invincible. Yeah, you, you're not going to get it. I'm not going to get HIV, never going to happen. And then boom, you get it. The CDC recommends that gay and bisexual men of all ages get an HIV test each year and men at the highest risk, those who have multiple sex partners or use drugs during sex, get tested every three to six months. Or how about just not engage in irresponsible behavior? Yeah, there is always that. I mean, just because you get tested frequently doesn't mean you won't get the, the virus. It just means that, you know, you'll be more aware of it when you do. You know, this, this stereotype that uh, AIDS is a, is a gay disease, you know, as it were, is a, it's a disease that ravages the gay community. It's not being helped by this kind of study. Uh, meanwhile, Paris Hilton was kicked out of Japan. <laughs> that, that alone is humorous. But no, really, uh, Paris Hilton, uh, she was trying to go to Japan to promote, of all things, and I, this is the weirdest part of the story, her new uh, fragrance line. It's because everyone wants to smell like 37 random guys. <laughs> smell like each of the men that have been inside Paris this month. Oh. Could be like the man of the week club. <laughs> Could have different man smells combined with Paris, of course. This is her lavender bath and dude smell. Dude number 78145. Of course, you could have that awe-inspiring fragrance of, uh, of jail cell and cocaine residue. That could be one of the fragrances. So yeah, she was kicked. Here's, here's what happens. So she went to Japan. She wanted to promote this fragrance line that she's rolling out. The problem, though, is that, um, well, the problem is that Japan, interestingly enough, and I, I, I sort of knew this, but they have a very stringent policy about who they let into their country. You know, Japan's actually a little bit picky. You know, unlike the United States that, you know, everybody talks about how we're so picky and we have such, uh, we have these standards. And not really. We'll let just about anybody in. In Japan, if you have any arrests for drug offenses, which uh, I'm sad to say even includes like marijuana. If you have any convictions uh, for drug use, I'm pretty sure it's hard drugs, but whatever. Uh, they don't let you in. No thanks. We're not interested. And of course, uh, Paris most recently uh, was in Las Vegas and uh, she was uh, caught with uh, cocaine, which of course she said wasn't hers. Well, it was, but then it was not even part of her purse. Remember that whole thing? She said that she had a cocaine uh, that had somehow, it, it wasn't even her purse. Like at first it was, it was like, it's, this isn't my cocaine. Um, then it's like, well, that didn't work. So she said, well, this isn't even my purse. 
Well, it's got all your stuff in it. Well, I, I grabbed the wrong person's purse and then I put some of my own things in it. Or whatever the excuse was. I'm not even really sure how... Cokeheads will always come up with an excuse. This is something to know about drug users and uh, about people like Paris, you know. Druggies will always uh, sort of come up with an excuse or a reason for their drug use. A justification for why they have it. This is medical cocaine. Medical marijuana, I'll buy medical cocaine. No. Well, it's not mine. And it's not like there's much here anyway, like totally, dude. I mean, officer, um, have you seen my videos? Because I could do a lot for you. <laughs> Come on, I've got a lot of money. Isn't that good enough? So they said it. She got to the Tokyo airport and they're like, I'm sorry. Uh, you, you can't. Country's closed to you, honey. So um, she won't be able to promote her, her wonderful fragrances there. I think she has fragrances, and I think she even has a clothing line, which is weird because every time I've seen her, the only thing she's ever wearing is like a towel, if that. Well, it is true. She actually did make an appearance in public once with clothes on. I do remember that. Remember that? She, she actually had clothes on, like barely. <laughs> you know, I really shouldn't know what Paris Hilton's nipples look like. I really shouldn't know that she has nips, and I shouldn't know that she shaves. And it shaves down there. I really shouldn't know that. I shouldn't know that she has a landing strip and I shouldn't know exactly what techniques she uses in bed. I shouldn't know that. I don't know why I have to know that. Mike, you didn't have to click that link. Listen, it got sent to me by 78 people. <laughs> I go to a store and a guy that's showing off a, 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 like a, a laptop to somebody goes, oh yeah, you can get uh, streaming on this. You can you know stream video off of this. It's it's beautiful. Look at this. Look at this HD quality. Let me just go to a site. And like they just pull up a Paris Hilton video. I'm like in a Best Buy and they're showing uh, they're showing Paris Hilton, you know, sucking some dude. I don't know, some guy. <laughs> I'm not I'm not even you know the sad is I'm actually not even making that up. <laughs> you know, I'm not a prude, okay? I don't, it doesn't bother me. It's just that, you know, it would be nice to be able to go to a Best Buy just once and not see porn. <laughs> I'm just saying, like if I'm in Las Vegas, I expect to see porn all over the streets, okay? I expect to see uh, leaflets for brothels that of course are not located in Clark County and for escort services, which of course are Escort services. There's no sex there. I expect that, but come on. You know, I go to like uh, Disney.com. I don't want to see, you know, Paris doing some dude. Just throwing it out there. All right. If you go to MichaelGraff.com, though, you know what you're not going to see? You're not going to see me doing anybody. Not yet, anyway. I mean, that'll be the pay service that we're going to offer soon. Uh, but in the meantime, we are, uh, you know, eventually going to build a site there. So you can uh, look forward to that. Meantime, you can always drop us a message, Michael Groff Show on AOL Instant Messenger. You can always send us an email, mike at kmgx.com. That is our email address. It is mike at kmgx.com. That is also the PayPal address for this program. And I emphasize that because, well, we do require your donations. Anyway, um... So michaelgraff.com donations. I'm just I'm I'm just suggesting, just throwing it out there as sort of a, a general suggestion. 
Also, uh, we are on the Facebook. There's a fan page for our show there now, as well as my own personal page. My personal page is my personal page. My fan page is my fan page. You can be on both, but, you know, eventually I'm going to go through and purge my personal Facebook page. I got to get... I, yeah, I got to get rid of... Um, what's that? Of the stalkers. The stalkers. <laughs> yeah, I got I to gotta worry about the stalkers, and I have to worry about... Um, I have to worry about... I mean, there's a lot of people on my Facebook page. I don't even know who they are. I think they're listeners, but I don't know. Some people are just... They just add you. They're like, I don't know. This guy looks kind of weird, so I'll add him. Although... Thanks to Hillary, I, I don't have a weird picture up there now as my profile. But I actually have a picture that looks, she says hot. I say it looks, is it at all representative of how I really look? I mean, be honest now. Put down put down the girlfriend Kool-Aid for just a second. There's no photoshopping. She says there's no photoshopping on that picture. And she was the one that put it up there. And I don't, she put it up there right away. So it wasn't photoshopped. But I don't know. She does have a really good camera. <laughs> you should give yourself a plug. Is there anything you want to promote? No, I'm good. Are you sure? Because mm-hmm. Hillary Fox does do web design, but you actually have to pay. Unlike me, who, you know, manages to do stuff for free because people take advantage of me and, you know, I, I wind up doing voiceover work for people for months at a time and, you know, I never wind up paying them. Or they never wind up paying me, I should say. I always do the service and then they wind up stiffing me. Okay, unlike me, who's a pushover, Hillary is not. But if you do pay, she'll do like web design for you. Is that is that accurate? Sure. Yeah, but you actually have to pay and you can't get like a corporate disc. She's not going to do it for like 10 bucks, okay? You have to pay her like $1,000 to do it. What's that? Well, yeah, the recession's over, so you have to pay her, like, big bucks. Thousands. Is it Fed's thousands, right? Okay. All right, we're back uh, with another edition of uh, the Zip Code Famous Michael Grav Show real soon. Have a great night, everybody, and uh, check us out. We're posting new stuff on YouTube here in the next uh, several days, some old stuff, some new stuff, whatever. Keep up on the uh, Facebook, uh, associatedcontent.com slash Michael Graff. I'm everywhere. Have a great one. Good night.